Santi, no prep today. Jumping right in. How you doing, man? It's raw. I mean, the market raw. is just uh, doing its thing. People are blaming. <laughs> this market is raw. The NFT community is going through its first true cycle. They're blaming. Oh, blur. my God. Capitulation in full effect, huh? You know, yeah, everyone's uh, the timeline is hysterical because, you know, last week it's like we're going to catapult from 2K to 3K. You're not even going to notice it. Everyone's sidelined. Now everyone's freaking out because we're going to have two more rate hikes. And uh, it's just a reminder to slow down a bit. You know, how you doing? Good time. <laughs> Panic's a good time. It really is. It is I a can, good time. It, Anyone who can stay, I think the ability to stay calm during panic is going to be one of the is one of the most profound skills that you can have or traits that you can have in crypto, alongside the ability to think for yourself and think independently. And I, I think we're watching say, that play out right now. I was gonna say that. People say, like, obviously, if you can hold two simultaneously contradictory, if you can hold two contradictory thoughts simultaneously, it's a sign of high intelligence the other one is that that's like raw intelligence but also the emotional side is yeah. you know i used to joke with uh in my former boss at this at this venture fund that i was at <clears throat> and they're like long timers they were like early associates at kkr like super successful careers they've done like some of the biggest most successful deals in private equity and they they were like so dismissive of crypto i think they still are and i'm like guys like do you realize that what i've lived through I've seen like now four or five market cycles, maybe more. I mean, we see them like every year now, it mm-hmm. seems. Like the education that you can get as an investor dealing with in crypto is bar none. I mean, just yeah. the, the level of things to keep up on a number of dimensions, on a different strategies, venture, hedge funds, liquid venture, uh, it's, uh, it's wild. Yeah, it is. Yeah, the, I was thinking about, um, did you ever, I watched the Yuval Harari. You ever read mm-hmm. Sapiens? Mm-hmm. So Yuval Harari gave this talk at the World Economic Forum, and he said that eventually, and in the relatively near future, humans aren't going to have to think for themselves because there's going to be so many algorithms and so many chips embedded in you, and you won't have to think for yourselves. And I was just thinking like, man, the the critical thinking, the ability to think for yourself is going to become exponentially more important in the future. I think so. so speaking of that, let's talk about... Uh, Today, here's what I'm thinking about. So mm-hmm. BlackRock, obviously Larry Fink just went on Fox. Yep. Um, Blur, I'd love to get your thoughts on Blur. As you were mentioning, Blur's kind of getting ripped for uh, being the cause of the NFT bear market. I would tend to disagree. I know you'd probably disagree as well, but would love to get your thoughts. Talk about Coinbase is ripping. Some of the OG DeFi tokens are ripping. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what else happened this week? Lido moved their treasury from ETH into Steeth. I uh, thought that was pretty interesting. But actually, I'd love to start with Threads, a non-crypto thing. Um, so Facebook announced Threads, which is their uh, their Twitter competitor. Have you have you set up your Threads account? No, I'm too busy doing other stuff. Like, will I, will you will you set up a Threads account or no? I don't know. I mean, the incentive to claim it is like you want to have a u- good username, right? Yeah, but otherwise, basically. I have no interest for now. Yeah, have you? It's been. It, uh, I have not. I have not. But I I, I probably will. Um, not because I plan on posting on threads, but just, uh, yeah, to claim the username. But also, I mean, as I say, this probably someone's out there claiming Jason and claiming Yano already, but that's okay. But no, it's, I think it's just fun to try new products. It's also, um, the, it's on track to become the, to hit a hundred million downloads in the first like 24, 48 hours, which makes it the fastest growing social media app in history. 
Um, and I just think that's impressive, right? They already have 50, 60 million, maybe 70 million users already. Um, and I think it's pretty interesting. I, it's uh, If you look at the data, so if you zoom out and look at just the, the behemoth that Facebook has built, let's look at the top like 10 apps, to, uh, top 10 social media apps. I'll read them, read them to you in order. Facebook, YouTube, WhatsApp, Instagram, WeChat, TikTok, Facebook Messenger, uh, something called Douyin. I don't even know what that is. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Telegram. Uh, Telegram just passed Snapchat, actually. So Telegram uh, and then Snapchat. So of the top, what did I just say? 10 yeah, names. WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook. Facebook, WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook Messenger. Four of the top four. 10 are owned by Facebook. So, yeah, uh, and if anyone can do this, it's distribution not great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they, they have like 3 billion users on Facebook that you could basically just then, that's a huge distribution base. They so. have so many users that they've started, they, they have to create new internet, right? They have to create, uh, they have to give more people in the world more access yeah. to the internet to get, to, to grow the TAM. So I think it's very yeah, at interesting. Some point, at some point, they're going to get into the AI game, right? Because they have all this data on users and, you know, the stock's going to rip another 2X and everyone's going to be like, why didn't we think of that? You know, it's all these companies. I mean, they think of all the data that they have. Just going to leave it yeah. there, folks. I'm not long but, meta, but yeah. he who controls the data... I, can train them all. I think we're living at a at a historic time, right? You have the best, no matter what you think of threads, you have the best entrepreneur in the world building atoms, right? The best atoms focused entrepreneur in the world with Elon versus the best bits entrepreneur in the world with Zuckerberg. And they're going head to head. I think it's really cool. That's a I think claim. it's a pretty historic time. Yeah. Zuckerberg, you'd say Zuckerberg is the best bits entrepreneur. I mean, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, three like, billion users. Who, yeah. who else would you have? Well, I was more curious to understand the definition of best and how you define best. But yeah, I agree. Like uh, as a matter of touching the world. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Yeah. Used by the most people. Biggest yeah, impact. Yeah, like whether impact, or not you think it's a good impact, impact whether you think it's good or right. bad or relevant or not to you. But impact wise. Yeah. I mean, I think he's yeah. like t- everyone in the world uses Facebook. ish. Yeah. I, uh, so to tie this into crypto a little bit, I've been thinking a lot about your social graph, right? I think this has showed the value of owning your social graph. Um, I think there's some things that are interesting with with threads versus Twitter, right? There's a, supposedly kind of a different value prop from Twitter. Like Twitter is clearly for news, politics, more maybe like long form content, threat, uh, you know, threads inside of Twitter have really taken off. I think what they're trying to do with threads is like share your personality, share your thoughts, more like a more casual, more social Instagram. I don't really like that value. Pro- I don't, I don't think that's really a value prop. I think what they're missing there is like, I actually treat Instagram as like a personal thing. Twitter for me is work. Twitter for yeah. me is my work outlet. So, but, Listen. but okay. So tying it back to the social graph, the most interesting thing I think for me to watch is whether or not, uh, Threads cares about the uh, giving you the ability to share, to share your social graph. And so this guy, Adam Mosseri, who runs Instagram, let me read this post that he said. He said, uh, we're committed to building support for ActivityPub, uh, which, which is the protocol behind Mastodon, uh, into, into Threads. He said, we weren't able to finish it for launch given a number of complications that came along with building a decentralized network, but it's coming. If you're wondering why this matters, here's a reason. You may one day end up leaving Threads, or hopefully not, end up deplatformed. If that ever happens, you should be able to take your audience with you to another server. Being open can enable that. And I think that is going to be the key thing to actually watch here. They're going to be able to get users. They'll get hundreds of millions of users. They'll end up getting a billion users for threads probably. I bet it'll be really successful. 
Um, but the but the 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 social graph and whether or not they follow through on that promise is for me the most interesting thing. Where does that leave uh, Lens, Farcaster, and some of the other uh, crypto first applications? Um, I think it crushes them. I would love to have someone from Farcaster. Or, you know, we've had Stani on a bunch, so maybe not. Yeah, we could have Dan Romero or mm. Stani. Maybe we could have both of them oh, on yeah, to do yeah. to do an episode there. But for sure. I think it's not good for them. And the also, activation. I mean, the thing, the the unfair advantage that Facebook and Twitter and all these platforms have is the distribution that they've acquired over the years. The, it's always a chicken and the egg problem. It's like, well, they have they start from zero, but they at this point in time they have massive distribution. And for instance, like they display Snapchat, like Instagram rolled out stories, and then. People, most, a lot of people except teens stopped using Snapchat. It was like gone yeah. like that. Uh, and the activation energy, a lot of the commentary I've seen recently is, so what are you supposed to like dual post and then go from there? A lot of the conversations and thinking I've done around Lens was, you know, full disclosure, I'm an investor, was like struggling to understand and activating it in my flow of like, when I think of like tweeting, it, it's, I think it's a verb. I, I think of tweeting. I don't right. think of lensing. Here, here, here's why I'm slightly bearish on those apps is because your social graph is something that you and I are talking about here. 99% of people don't even know what a social graph is. For most people, it's 99%. So, so what is a social graph? <laughs> no, I mean, you're, most people's social graph are 50 people follow them on social. You've got coworkers, family, and friends. Right. I think people only care about the ability to kind of transfer your social graph after you are famous or a celebrity or for some reason or another have built, you know, 50,000 followers or 100,000 followers. Then you care about your social graph. But that's in reality probably 0.1% of these platforms, maybe even less. Uh, so for most people, it's just, I don't know, start on a new app and get your 50 friends, family, and coworkers to follow you. But like practically speaking, so like say I have 100,000 followers, I could. Flex on them, Santi. I say hypothetically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> hypothetically, if I have 101,400. Oh, yeah. So you're, see, folks, listen. He's really tracking because we have an active bet that who's going to have more followers by permissionless. I'm not worried about I it. lost 100 followers this week. I was like, what happened? I'm I think not. people listen to this and we're, they like you more, so they unfollowed me. Thank you, folks. I appreciate it. Free <laughs> beers on me and permissionless. Um, anyways, the what does it actually mean? Like, okay, so I, I want to leave a platform, what is it to take your social graph? Because your audience is still going to be in that other platform anyways. What does it mean? Like you're going to target them, you're going to get their email, you're going to be able to interact with them by inviting them to come to whatever other platform. Then if that's the case, then the incentive is for everyone to then just start spin up their own server and like have their own website and landing page and have people go in there and chat. But that's not the case. I, I don't, I don't think that's the case. Maybe we're getting it all the, wrong. But I, do you want to know the dirtiest little growth hack of threads so far? That hasn't come into play yet, but <laughs> will come into play when when it comes to churn of a of, of mm -hmm. the platform. To you can delete individual posts. To delete your threads profile and the data, you have to delete your Instagram account. Yeah, I mean the hook is there, but what is it? Going back to the initial question, like people talk about this a lot, but I have never heard a. a concise answer on what is the social graph when you talk about porting it what does it actually mean if you're like someone that as you say has a huge following 
Like, oh, what, uh, I think it's pretty simple. It's um, like a mad here. Here's a here's the so today the world is built of social apps, right? And you follow someone on an app, and you like if I follow you on Facebook, I don't follow you on Instagram. You could envision this being very different, right? You can envision this being there's a social protocol, and there are just apps built on top of the protocol, and following and unfollowing gets built into into the actual protocol. So let's say I followed you on like the lens protocol, any app that gets built on the lens protocol, I would, we would automatically follow each other. I think that's, I think that's the social graph or, you know, in, in the applied to Twitter and threads to make this more applicable, um, the ability to like port over all of my followers. So I now have a hundred thousand followers on threads and I follow, I follow, I don't know, probably 3000 people instead of re-following all those people, I just automatically follow them. That assumes that these other followers of yours have this profile set up in this other platform they're going to. Correct? But the reality yeah, is Yeah, or or when they create a threads account, it auto follows me because they followed me okay. on the on the social graph. Some something like that. I don't know. To be honest, we've it, never seen it. Uh, we've never it, seen it. It, applied it strikes in the real me world. as it strikes me as this problem of airline points that you have certain consortiums, but what's the incentive for Twitter? To allow there's no incentive there's that's no incentive the, and so when reason, we talk yeah. about this portability it's kind of like a it's a mute point for me i don't understand it until i see it but you're probably right i'm fairly bearish on on anyone that talks about social graph maybe i'm a lizard brain here but i i don't see the i see the value of it in in theory in practicality i really struggle to understand how it works yeah the end of the day on social people care about a few things fame money dopamine they don't care much about their social graph so let's talk about fame and money uh in other news uh larry, larry fink who's the uh, ceo of blackrock you like that pivot appeared on uh, on fox um and i thought it was pretty i mean it was a pretty profound interview he said that blackrock wants to obviously comply with regulators but more importantly uh he added that his view, his views that Bitcoin is basically digital gold, that crypto is this really unique monetary um, or in, investment because it's completely international. Um, I thought it was a very and and you know, in his minds he he called for like the democratization of crypto. Very, it was a very pro Bitcoin, very pro even not just Bitcoin but pro crypto interview. Um, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. He's done a one eighty pivot on his stance on crypto. Um, some have not, like Jamie Dimon has not, but it's impressive because they're the largest asset manager in the world and their, their approval rating for ETFs is, is incredible. Like basically only one or two have been denied and, you know, did Larry wake up one day and come to this epiphany? No, I think there's a lot of institutional demand. Whether yep. it's now or in the future, I think he sees it. And I think if you you know the history of BlackRock very well, there's a great podcast that talks about it, yeah. um, of how they become just that. And they've been fairly innovative. And I see, I think they see an opportunity because they are constantly in touch with their largest clients and they see the the window here. Yeah. Why don't I share some of that history? Because yeah. I think people don't realize People are just realizing how big BlackRock is. People think of Larry Fink as just the CEO. I would argue that Larry Fink has is now more powerful than Jamie Dimon, or at least as powerful. 
is the most powerful capital markets person in the entire world. And I think people underestimate that. So if you actually look at the background, um, he's been he's been on Wall Street for for 50 years. Uh, he basically Larry Fink kind of pioneered this idea of debt securitization, right? Packaging up a bunch of different loans as bonds. He ran the trading desk for mortgage-backed securities. Um that back in the day in like, you know, 80s, 90s, early 2000s, uh, got clobbered, took a, took a wrong bet on interest rates, realized that client trust is important, risk management is important. So decided to start a new firm focused on those two principles. Uh, so he went to, to his buddies at, Black, at Blackstone, at, not BlackRock, at Blackstone Group, got a $5 million line of credit. And that was when basically Blackstone Financial Management was born. 20 years later, so that was early 2000s, I think, 20 years later, a bunch of M&A, this ends up becoming BlackRock. Mm-hmm. Now, today, BlackRock is the largest asset manager in the world. They have $9 trillion, maybe I think actually recently hit $10 trillion of AUM, largest asset manager in the world. But what's more important than any of that is just the power that he wields. Uh, so let me just pull up a couple of these uh, stories. Uh, in 2016, he was touted as... Tr- uh, Treasury sec uh, almost became Treasury Secretary. If I, I think if if Hillary had won the election uh, in 2016, he would have become Treasury. Uh, he would have become Treasury Secretary. Uh, very deeply politically connected. Very like vocal Democrat is often being heard as saying like as as I as I told Washington. That's kind of his line. Like as I told Washington. Um, uh, let's see what else happened. In there's some other big stuff. In I'm trying to remember when this was. Ah, okay, this is what it was. In 2020, do you remember when uh, when the Fed obviously started printing in 2020, kind of kicked off the bull market, when Jay Powell and the Fed needed to start buying corporate bonds to backstop the economy? Who did they turn to do it? BlackRock and, and Larry Fink, right? When the FDIC came to wind down the portfolios of, sign, uh, portfolios of Signature and SVB, who did they have to do that? BlackRock, right? Yeah. So very, very, very connected. Um, largest asset manager in the world. And I think it's a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's as it's the equivalent of Jamie Dimon being very pro. Or or more. I mean, when when BlackRock sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold. I mean, they own, they have positions in pretty much every major company. They're, if not the largest among the top 10 largest holders, by virtue of their size. Also a huge investor. I think they, they start like this, the writing was on the wall, right? They made a huge investment into circle. Test. Circle raised four hundred million in twenty twenty two. I think it was April twenty twenty two. Two of the biggest investors, BlackRock and Fidelity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Circle puts their USDC reserves into a BlackRock fund. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, so well, that, that's interesting because of real world assets. And you talked earlier about like the resurgence of DeFi and real world assets. We'll get to that later of how all this ties in. <clears throat> but I think uh, one, I th- the the weight that they are now putting up in terms of validating the asset class is probably the most important event in a couple of years. The approval of the ETF obviously has a ton of bearing and weight, but also just it being BlackRock that I think is the kind of energy and catalyst that you you need to, to change the tide and the narrative uh, in Wall Street and in DC. And it's BlackRock that can do it more easily than others. I go back to a comment uh, of Dana, I think Fitzpatrick, the CIO of Soros Family Soros, Office, yeah. and she said a couple of weeks ago that said, "Look, uh, it's going to be the incumbent uh, legacy firms that uh, really come up and pick up the pieces and, and dominate crypto." Um, it's certainly starting to look like that. That uh, thesis is 
is uh is relevant i'd say yeah. Um, there's been also a lot of response after BlackRock filed the ETF. I mean, ARK refiled and then they're in contention and then they're first and then second based on a number of things. So there's now a fight and then everyone else, I mean, I think it was Wisdom Tree and a bunch of others like filed an ETF. Um, so, you know, of course, you got to wonder what they have filed for an ETF given their approval rating, knowing that they wouldn't pass. And I don't think that's the case. And I think they have a lot of interest um, from clients. I mean, that's the only reason why they would do it. I don't think Larry took it upon himself to read the white paper and then come to a massive realization and then started sending Bitcoin to friends and said, wow, my God, this is phenomenal. No, I mean, he's, I think, a very practical man and understands uh, how he can expand his franchise. And this is an, an emerging asset class. You're going to want to capture it and you're going to want to capture it with an ETF. A couple other two points I want to mention. One, the discount on the, on the Grayscale products has been moving a lot. It uh, at one point reached a fifty nine percent discount, right? And then it it tightened to thirty ish range. Um, I think under the expectation that all of this is going to have an impact on the on the way the court rules on the grayscale, um, and also how that can somehow unlock the trap liquidity, if you will. Um, if you can convert, what's the things. discount at now? Like twenty five percent? No, I don't. I don't remember. I think it's widened a bit now, but it's been. I, I don't think it's as tight as twenty. Here. But um, as you look 27, at it, 27, 27, there you go. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. The second point, uh, you talk a little bit of a transition in the Coinbase, of course, that it's rallied a lot. I think two catalysts attributed to that one, I think the Baupost group, this is Seth Klarman, who's probably one of the smartest amongst like Ray Dalio and Renaissance, like Jim Simmons fund, like Baupost, like margin of safety, that book itself, like uh, Seth Klarman is probably one of the most uh, like low key guys, but like private guys, but like Baupost as an institution is widely respected uh, amongst um, in amongst Wall, you know, in Wall Street, and and so they announced obviously they had exposure to the converts of Coinbase and. They said, look, this is not an endorsement of the company, but we just think it was, you know, they have like $5 billion of cash and it's a mispriced instrument. Right. And then the stock like that, they went up, shot up like while all this while like the ETF stuff was going down. And so I think those two factors really um, like Coinbase went from 50-ish to like 70 bucks or so, like it's rallied a bunch. Uh, the reason the ETF is important- Stock's up 130% this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. 130. I mean, it was, yeah. Um, and full disclosure, I still I've been, think I've been, $75 Coinbase looks like a steal in the bull market. But. Listen, guys, I mean, I've been public about this for a while. I, I have exposure to Coinbase, so I have, I'm biased. We had the folks on talking about base. I think it's a company that doesn't, is not understood by Wall Street. And I look at that as an opportunity to one, an indication that we're early. And two, I've always asked this question when I'm making an early stage investment. One is going to outperform ETH or the underlying Bitcoin. And second, am I better off buying Coinbase stock? Because one might like actually track or or be a rally first, uh, but I want to go back to one thing. I know I'm kind of like all over the place, but the the ETF is relevant because I my understanding is that BlackRock disclosed that they would use Coinbase, yeah. um, and of course that was a huge validation. All of this while the government is the SEC is suing Coinbase, um, and so. Um, yeah, I mean, I think investors are obviously worried about, you know, the 
the the lawsuit and what the implications that can have on, on the company. But it's a huge endorsement when the largest house manager in the world says, yeah, we're going to pick one, one player and it's Coinbase. And so I think- And if you remember, the announcement from last- That was a great point, Santi. The, but the announcement from last year too, when uh, BlackRock selected Coinbase to be- <laughs> Uh, what's what's BlackRock's professional trading platform? Uh, Aladdin is their professional mm-hmm. uh, is their like wealth management platform. They announced that they're going to give clients access to trading and custody via Coinbase Prime. Absolutely. Right? So, yeah. So likelihood I mean, of a Coinbase acquisition by BlackRock. What are you putting it at? It was one of my predictions um, last year that there was going to be M and A and that Coinbase sitting at. That value, Coinbase would be a prime acquisition target for a, a Fidelity of the world, a BlackRock of the world, a JP Morgan. I mean, they could certainly swallow it easily. The question is, do you want it or do you keep it sort of at some sort of arm, like distance and you just work with them? Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's actually an interesting question. Do you think they get acquired by BlackRock? No. Nah, feels like it's, yeah, no. No, I don't. Problem with M and A from big companies like traditional companies into crypto is in a bear market. That's when you would do it, right? Because the valuations are are, are the most depressed. However, if you're like a public company or you're a large traditional company, it's very tough to convince your board that buying a crypto company in a bear market makes sense. In a bull market, when everyone's pro crypto, and you can easily convince your board that you need a crypto strategy, crypto valuations are far too high. So everyone always thinks that there's going to be a lot of M and A, but I think that's why you haven't seen the traditional to crypto M and A, and then you haven't seen crypto to crypto M and A because uh, a lot of people raised in a, in a boom hmm. need and then need to get acquired in a bear, but their valuation expectations are far too high. Yeah, so. yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah we'll see. Um, last interesting stat, and then we can move on from that is uh, average open interest for Bitcoin futures on CME, CME is at two point nine billion. That is the highest it's been since December twenty twenty one. Which was one month after Pico Top. Yeah. So I think this pulls some other folks into in, into the arena, right? Absolutely. Like I, I interned at Capital Group American Funds, which was a huge mutual fund back in the day. If you look at the top uh, mutual fund groups, you have like BlackRock, then Fidelity, Charles Schwab, JP Morgan, Barclay Hedge, Fidelity, State Street, Capital Group, BNY Mellon, PIMCO, uh, Northern Trust, Invesco. About half of those have crypto strategies. Like from the top, CEO-driven mm-hmm, crypto mm-hmm. strategies, BlackRock, Fidelity with Abby Johnson, Franklin yeah. Templeton, family-run, CEO-driven crypto strategy. Half of those don't have crypto strategies. And I think what this is going to do is they're going to be forced, those those big mutual fund groups are going to be forced into the market by their customers. Yeah. So they, they all will respond, not because they believe in the space, but because they want to capture an opportunity that their clients, if not offered, will go elsewhere for. That's yeah. It. Um, NFT capitulation. You mentioned it. What's going on with Blur? Why are people? Uh, what what is what is the argument that Blur is? Uh, Blur has caused the crash of the market. Can you explain this? Price goes down, and people look to for a scapegoat. Yeah. I mean, I'll add more nuance to that. I think the financial, the incentives of season one, two, three of Blur, I think have uh, people are claiming that that is, uh, has artificially or I don't want to say, I mean, it's been influencing, if you will, the floor price and the activity of the NFT marketplace. 
Is, and is the argument that if you look at what Blur did, they incentivized a bunch of trading and specifically, actually, they kind of incentivized some leverage. So what that did is it caused people who maybe had 10K to buy NFTs, they maybe put 50K into NFTs uh, using uh, Blur. That on, and- the, that on the margin, I think it was also the idea that with this collection, like it incentivized trading. So of specific collections, because you remember initially Blur would only support like for the seasons, like it was, it was I think, believe like, certain collections for um the launch of uh was a blend right their marketplace i tend to think it's like you know what blur is effectively and we recorded two podcasts with uh pac-man t-shirt so you should go listen to those and form your own opinion but my my view is that blur whether whether you want to blame blurm or not you're gonna the people that blame blur will blame blur or whoever else this their view is that financialization is bad my point is the market what blur has done is introduced more efficiency to a what is uh to the market especially when you think of nfts i mean they're fairly more inefficient and so i it's sort of um you allow for more ease of transactions you bring more uh liquidity that creates more price transparency of these collections and you got to wonder, was the price actually in the first place? It was probably inefficient. It was probably, you know, why don't we go out and blame all the hype of these collections that talk about utility and have not delivered? Why don't we talk about the the celebrity endorsements and the certain wallet providers that were like sending and gifting NFTs without publicly disclosing this to artists and celebrities? That's real like that that's something that we that should be talked about more but no 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 let's blame this instrument that allows for more price discovery i would say let's get to it faster if we can create more efficient markets then all the better because you're going to have a better price discovery i just hate fundamentally inefficient markets because then this is what happens right um can you let me ask you a question jason how easy is it for someone to manipulate uh the stock of a public company that is worth like couple billion dollars like a large cap like in the s&p 500 how difficult is it difficult yeah quite difficult like you can have people chatter you can have like muddy waters or whatever put a report certainly has an impact right but in in crypto that's it's so sensitive right because there's low liquidity and there's it's not yeah get a little nice uh twitter thread going and yeah exactly got yourself a pump yeah so that's where i stand and i'm in that camp like we could talk about are the incentives structures correct or not but look there's always incentives no matter how you slice it, whether it's earning blur tokens or you know there's another nft marketplace that does this you know so that's my yeah. view. i mean of course we can talk about royalties and creator royalties and all this stuff but you know i would just encourage people to go listen to the blur episode yeah board apes about to go sub 30 ETH. <laughs> i mean is there a price would you buy them candidly no board Board ape. I just don't like them. I Board actually ape? sold. I'm, I sold. Mine. I wouldn't. I'm a. I'm a. I'm not a buyer at any price. Of, of board, I mean, maybe a couple. Maybe a couple ETH. Maybe like, maybe like five ETH or something. Th- this begs the question. And I Mike, think CryptoPunks under forty. I, I I've done a lot of thinking since our wow, our last conversation. Okay. I think sub forty sub forty ETH punks are are a nice buy. Let me ask you a question. Like, what does this tell you about the NFT marketplace? The fact that people are like. One, I mean, I think it's going through a capitulation, but 
uh, we've at uh, different moments of time talked about what is the composition of the NFT community? And does this, do you, like what percentage would you say are purely buying these things to speculate on them? What percent are buying just to speculate? Um, like I want to flip this in six months because I think the price. I mean, previously, down. probably 99%. But I think the folks who are left remaining are... <laughs> People who have, I mean, look at the, I mean, this is just like semi-data-driven. Look at the collections that are doing well. It's like Punks, Squiggles, Autoglyphs, Fidenza. Um, It's people who are are as close to art collectors as you can get in Mm -hmm. NFT land. I mean, there's still a lot of bag holders, right? Yeah, yeah. But that's, but that's who, that's what's doing well, right? Any of the like metaverse land, building a game, like those are doing awful. That, that being said, Sandy, I, I still do. I'm I I like the this is this is how all markets go, right? You have yeah, yeah. greed, excess money comes in, deep bear market, people start blaming other people for for <laughs> failures, and then market comes back. And it's interesting to see this happening along it does feel like NFTs are one year lagging behind DeFi, basically. Yeah. Right. Like it feels like we just got into the absolute depths of the bear market for NFTs. Full capitulation. Mm-hmm. This is where this is where DeFi was a year ago. A year ago, oh, yeah. it, I mean, it's, it's kind of felt like DeFi was like, oh, arguably, man, arguably still is. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, look at look at look at the price of some of these OG DeFi tokens yeah. right now. Look at some of the innovation that's happening in DeFi. We're about to have ECC, and I'm sure you know a bunch of the stuff coming out of ECC too. But like, man, the the, the DeFi innovation is nuts right now. Yeah, stuff going uh, on liquid staking. Like, yeah, it's a tough comparison, right? Because one is meant to be have utility the other one arguably not but um i think i would have i think this is a clear reflection that most a, a large subset of the nft community is just speculators which is fine that just want to speculate and look the trade went sideways and hasn't worked out for them and so maybe you should just you know when price goes up you're a collector you're an art connoisseur and you're in it for the culture. When price goes down, it's like, oh, let's blame this finance, <laughs> this platform that allowed for people to dump on me. Well, folks, I think this is maybe just reflect on why are you buying these things? I've said it time and time again, I don't consider, and people should go perhaps even listen to the episode that we did with Punk6529, right? Where, he's, where we asked him, like, how do you think about, because he has a, he talks about, items in a public collection that he never intends to sell and he talks about certain pieces that are part of his fund that at some point he will dispose of and and capitalize on and i think it's i'm actually fascinating to see how that thesis and that strategy plays out because i've always found it incredibly hard to let go of things that i collect and perhaps the most important distinction that i try to make when i make an investment is not to fall in love with it, but just think of like rationally, where do I exit? Yeah. You constantly kind of revisit your thesis, right? If you, you don't want to the- treat an investment like a collection, like a right, collector's yeah. item, you don't, you don't sell. You hold on to that, you pass it down. An investment, yeah. you, I mean, you look, it. is there a, I think there's always a price by which you really start contemplating. You know, say you buy a car for 10K and then someone comes in and offers you a million bucks. Well, you know how much you love the car. I mean, I think you probably let go of it because there's right. other other things that you might you might want to buy a house, whatever. So all these kind of relative opportunity costs. But what I'm trying to say is it's not the motivating driver for you to go out and buy things that you like as a as a collector, I think. But you know, teach his own. Look, I'm not I'm just 
that this is my perspective. It has helped me yeah. in some capacity. I know that some punks that I bought are deeply underwater. I still love them when I see them. You yeah. know, it's like uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go in there thinking, oh God, like this punk is like I don't the price doesn't compute as much, like not even. Yeah, I, I certainly know what I paid but, for by, them. By the way, Sandy, like on your question of speculators. It is a funny thing that speculators are looked down upon, actually, I think. And a lot of my like non folks outside of crypto often like to say, Oh, isn't crypto just for speculating? And I think if you like read history and you study history, like speculators provide the necessary Absolutely. liquidity and risk taking that enables new industries. Absolutely. And if you look at the oil industry, right? Oil industry was fueled by wild wildcatters, right? These like crazy speculators who purchased land and drilled in hopes of striking it rich. And like that speculate, that was speculation, but the speculation led to these discoveries of like oil reserves, which led to the growth of the oil industry. And then all the ancillary sectors that came from that, mm -hmm. and like technology, right? Technology in part grew because of the absolutely, venture capitalists who were willing to take these huge, huge bets. Even, even the rise of like agricultural industry, right? You have uh, like early farmers taking the risk of investing time and resources yeah. into the land in hope of a, of a future yield, which... It, is speculating is part of the fundamental yeah. human desire to improve your condition. The, so. There's a nuance between are you speculating or are you gambling? But I, I don't have any problem with speculation. And in fact, I yeah. think it's, a, as you said, it is the primary driver for innovation. And, and we should not think of it as a negative energy. It fuels everything. I mean, it fuels innovation, fuels curiosity, everything. Right. Uh, there's nothing wrong with making money. Some people somehow this woke culture is like, oh no, don't ever talk about money. I'm like, what's wrong with that? Like, you know, money is high, highly dense energy to move things and you know, fuel interests and, and and new movements. Like, without money, good luck. Yeah. Um. Last thing for you, and then we can make this a short roundup. Is uh. So I so I saw this week, Lido just executed proposal one sixty one, uh, staking all of the ETH twenty thousand ETH in the treasury into Steeth. Uh, so they now hold, so this is their treasury now, 21% in Steeth, about 63 million, and 76% uh, in Lido, uh, which is 231 million. Um, what is, so that, So I just thought that was an interesting treasury management strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, put, put, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Question for you, what, uh, and I don't know if you're comfortable sharing this or not, but what percentage of your ETH is, is some, some form of staked ETH? Um, like between a third and 40%. And why that number? Is that a, like, do you, is that on purpose, that number? That's a thoughtful number or it just kind of happened that way? I've over time just kind of staked it more and I've restaked it for some other things, but I just yeah. like, sometimes like to hold, like the question is, would I, will I ever stake 100% of it? No, because I like to keep ETH pure sometimes to just do other stuff um, for risk management purposes too. Like I know it's liquid and whatnot, but you know, I want to see more Lindy. I know, I know I'm foregoing a yield. That's fine. Um, but you made me think maybe it should be, should it be 60, 70, 80%? I don't know. What do you think? Um, I'm going to make a decision on that. I, I don't have, most of my ETH is not staked ETH and I'm leaving money on the table and I know that. Um, 
I so so Bell Curve, another Blockworks podcast, mm-hmm. just launched season five, and it's an entire episode. It's an entire season on liquid staking, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, I plan on basically it's on staking liquid uh, liquid staking tokens, um, restaking you know, eigenlayer. Uh, liquid staking across different ecosystems, like looking at Cosmos and what that looks like, kind of history of liquid staking, the risks of liquid staking. So that's a whole season led by uh, led by Mike as, and then also this guy Miles O'Neill from Reverie. Uh, re- Going to be a really interesting season. So basically, I plan on listening to that season mm-hmm. and then making an assessment. But I think I'm underexposed to to liquid staking. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll listen to it too. I, I don't think it's one of the... It, it, you kind of caught me there off guard a bit because it's one of those things where I haven't been... I haven't paid. I haven't dedicated enough time to think about how much I want to stake. Actually, same. But this uh, yeah. this new season's made me made me start to think about it. So yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of all I got, man. Yeah, a couple of quick things. ECC coming up, so a lot of announcements. Well, are you going? No, no. The only conference I'm going to this year is uh, Permissionless. Let's go. Why? I don't know. I was just like conferences are meh. Why permissionless though? Because uh, I'm actually excited to for real go because last year mm-hmm. I didn't go. Um, so yeah, I think it's it, once a year, one conference, w- once a year. I think uh, I think it's sort of where I've landed. Um, I prefer to just I'm more productive when I'm not at conferences, and I if I want to see someone specifically, I I'll make a point to, to do that. Uh, and I think it's more targeted. Sometimes I found myself going to conferences and a lot of people are there, but the, like the depth, like the, the depth of the conversation is unfortunately not really there because your attention span is so low. Like you have to yeah. you're running around and all this stuff, but I enjoy it. Like, uh, you know, virtual conferences. I've done a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Austin's. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to go. Do back. we have you, what are, what are you speaking about? No or idea. No idea. Right. It's, a, it's or- a good lineup. We've got like Voorhees, mm-hmm. Anatoly, Raj, uh, Hester Pierce, Jesse yeah. from Coinbase. Well, that's the other thing. Moy, head of Crypto to Apollo. Stani's coming. Yeah. Tom I think the, the composition yeah. of your, like ECC is a great event. I've been there a number of times. Uh, ETH Denver, like some of these like pure ETH conferences are, are really good. Uh, I found that I found myself one year uh, uh, in Paris, like in my hotel room or a cafe streaming these videos in 2x the speed. <laughs> while the conference was going on <laughs> and so i was like okay well maybe i should just stay at home but um but uh I, my understanding in, in talking to you permissionless as a crowd a more diverse crowd and and i'm actually quite curious to understand more like the sentiment of someone like yeah. you know you don't get hester peers at ecc you know and, and so you you have a mix of crowd and it might be one of the more diverse conferences out there it's not like btc miami is pure btc folks and then there's like side events so i think it's more uh for that reason i find it quite valuable i mean i the other one i have been going to is tokyo 2049 in london and singapore i don't want to go to singapore it's like too far this year so you know now i'm prioritizing going to permissionless yeah yeah i agree yeah if you've got like you know togel or togrel like the you know head researcher at scroll you know, sitting next to Jim Bianco, the yeah. macro guy, next to Ben Foreman, next to you know Ben Jones from Optimism. So I'm I'm pumped. By the way, if people want to learn more, we uh, we have, it's just blockworks.com forward slash permissionless. So yeah. easy. Soft plug, I guess. You know, plug. um, 
The other quick thing I wanted to mention is I, I saw, I mean, just as an anecdote, we talk about secondary opportunities a lot. It, it sounds like Tiger paused their sale. I mean, they were like doing fire sale in their secondary portfolio. It sounds like they paused it because they got so low stink bids that they're like, you know, might as well hold the bag. Uh, it's too tough to value individual companies, I think, at that point. Like they were selling off, I think it was like open season on 400 of their portfolio companies, right? Yeah, and it was yeah, like it anyone was, can buy was, anything. Yeah, it was um, so fire sale. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see the Thai, the Thai exchange? Um, God, but Boke, I'm, I'm forgetting the name of them, but the the, the leading crypto exchange in, in Thailand uh, raised a billion dollar valuation a year or two ago. They just raised it at 184 million. So down, you know, solid 85%. Yeah, I mean, we'll survive, hopefully. I mean, at this point, a lot of founders are looking in the mirror and saying, maybe that other valuation, wipe it out and recap and survive, you know? Yeah. 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 I saw a company on Solana just shut down this week. A lot of folks shutting down. You I, I really I really respect when when companies shut down two of my portfolio companies return, last week, returning capital. Yeah. And both of them I said, guys, the two things I say is I respect that. Two, maybe you've read, maybe you've not. We've we've talked about in this podcast is this book quit. Knowing when to quit. Yeah. Super important. And I really respect that. I'm about to back a founder that closed shop a year and a half ago relaunching another project and and so i'm excited about that nice all right man this good is chat. good great chat uh short week july 4th week but yeah i hope everyone had a good uh july 4th um i finished the three body problem good very good i'd okay. highly recommend it um i'm on to the sequel now um excellent i'm watching silo the new apple tv sci-fi movie okay or show it's very good the, i watched the bear the bear was incredible. The bear? The bear the bear is incredible. The bear is very good. It's like about a bear. <laughs> Go watch it. It's about a restaurant guy. Okay. It's the about bear. a restaurant. I'll plug it. Great. I started, uh, I finished one book called Jellyfish Age Backwards. Oh, you finished it. Good? Yeah, it's really good. I love it. You do look young today. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure someone in YouTube comment will say NFW. I think uh, folks are just regretting that they didn't turn this episode off already. Exactly. I know. For anyone still listening, this fa- actually fantastic book. I started reading it. Um, it is called Awe. Wait a second. Awe? Awe, like you're in awe. Awe, the new science of everyday wonder and how it can transform your life by Dacker Keltner. And I was reluctant to buy Bill it at first. I was reluctant to buy it at first because it was like, oh, one of these self-help books. I'm like, I'm not really into that stuff. But it got, I was a behavioral scientist. It's a blog that I follow a lot and they had it in their list and I bought it. Honestly, wow. Like I'm in awe about awe. Let's put it that way. All right, folks. Good pod. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, hope I you had a happy fourth that we celebrate. This is what uh, happens when it's a light news, news week. Light All right, man. Well, we just good, gotta good. Plug this. Let's just get to shut it down. Enjoy reading that book. And uh, we got to get one of those Amazon links, you know, where every time someone buys a book, we're like, support the pod, buy, buy the book. We get like 15 cents. That's how you know it's a bear. Uh, have I, <laughs> I was going to say, folks, true. This is the bottom signal. <laughs> All right. I'm Anyways. getting kicked out of the podcast room. Folks, see you later. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. 